Thank you, thank you, and thank, thank you, God. What a privilege, but also even more so, what a responsibility. And I just pray God's anointing over me and in each one of you for open hearts as he anointed the beautiful praise team and the choir and the leaders of the music. So pray with me. Father, we, we ask that you would now saturate our hearts with your presence in a way such as we have never known. Let your perfect love descend upon us, cast out all fear. We pray, Lord, that you would show us things too wonderful to behold. As Job cried after hearing you speak, after realizing he could not possibly understand the purposes and the ways that you take us through things that we would much rather avoid. And Lord, now you have an opportunity to speak to us in a way that maybe we've never heard before. I pray that you would bless each one here, an open heart, an open mind, and that if any two agree as to touching anything here on earth, it will be done in heaven. We have more than two in agreement. Whosoever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whosoever is lucid on earth is lucid in heaven. We bind every spirit, every foul spirit that would attempt to disrupt and confuse. Any spirit of fear would be removed in Jesus' name. And that you would loosen every heart to hear directly from you. That no flesh would glory in your presence. That you will share your glory with no man. That they would hear in this message of your word, truth and only truth, because that's what you desire in the inward parts. In Jesus we pray, amen. Ben Franklin said that laughter is the best medicine. We love to laugh. We immerse ourselves in laughter. We experience it at its fullest. We look for ways to find someone who makes us laugh and events and circumstances that cause us to laugh. Some of the best times are, are those that we didn't even look for, those serendipitous times where laughter just completely surrounds us and consumes us. We embrace it. We don't look to avoid it. Many of us live for that. But Ben Franklin was wrong about it being the best medicine. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. As much as we love to laugh, we do everything to avoid sorrow. We look for ways to get that situation or scenario behind us. And we fail to see that there might be something in there that God has that we have never imagined. That if we actually, and I want you to consider something very radical, embraced the pain that might be set before you right now. Embrace the pain of yesterday that has been tabled for this day. Embrace it in a way that you let God come into that pain with you and walk through it with you. When we have conflict and relational pain with those we love, we experience the worst turmoil of our lives. 
So when I speak of the pain that I'm talking about, I'm talking about relationship pain, where those that we care about most have the capability of hurting us the worst. I want you to imagine that if your whole world around you is hurting you, that those you love the most comfort you, you will be comforted. But if those closest to you are hurting you, the whole world could comfort you and you will not be comforted. There is no pain greater than the pain from those we trust and love the most. Yet Jesus said in Luke 17:1 that it is impossible, but that offenses will come. In this fallen world, wherever two or three are gathered, we offend one another. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to offend in a way that causes pain in the lives of those we care about. Then there are offenses that are not intentional. Offenses that come or occur as a result of a person's deficiency in terms of pouring into my life. That they don't intentionally want to make me feel as if I'm not important. But I feel like sometimes I'm not important. That they really have no clue that they've made me feel that way. I'm sure if you're like me, you've been on both sides of that. I've been too often on the side where I've made those around me hurt far more than they've hurt me. I really believe that if there's anything that I have to offer in this message of restoring relationships, which is the ministry of reconciliation, it is not based upon any degrees that I have, any education, particularly from a secular realm. But it comes only as a result of the fact that I've probably experienced many of the pains I'll be talking about at a level that maybe many of you have, or maybe even more. Some of you more. And I guess we could do this kind of comparison. Well, that's nothing compared to this. But the truth is that even though all of our experiences are different, do you know that our pain is the same? What we feel deep inside and what it does to us is the same thing, even though our memories and our experiences are different. Relational pain causes deep wounds of rejection, loneliness, and despair. We feel value and virtue depart from us as we tumble into a deep, dark sense of depression and a state of affliction. I want us in the church to be awakened to the fact that once we come to know Christ, we do see our sin. Oh. It's very clear to us, and we also see that there's no remedy for that sin except the blood of Jesus. Therefore, if that's what the remedy is for sin, the blood of Jesus, and we immediately go to Him, or sometimes delay in going to Him, we know that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But how about somebody who sinned against you that hurts you in a way where you have been afflicted. You see, affliction in you and me is not sin. It's pain. It's something that causes a deprivation in me. I become deprived. I become devalued. I have a state of rejection that begins to take over my soul. You know what rejection is? It's the feeling that I'm not important to the people I care about most. Did you know that that's an experience of death inside us? Rejection is a, is a sense of soul death. It separates me from the communion of knittedness talked about 
between Jonathan and David in the book of Samuel. That Jonathan loved David. Jonathan's soul was knitted with the soul of David. And he loved him as his own soul. That knittedness. And the thing is, when you feel rejected, there can be no knittedness. Therefore, you can be in the experience of someone you love very much. And you know loves you. But because there is a polarity, that is a separation because of the rejection, you will feel as if you're detached. And you feel a little sense of what death is in this, this sense. Separation. See, death we know as believers is not an ending. It's separation. To be absent from the body and present with the Lord is physical death. Paul said far better, but very painful for those of us left behind. We know the spiritual death in Revelation 20. Whosoever, whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, spiritual. But you can walk this life knowing Jesus Christ spiritually and feel a soul sensation of death in this element of rejection. In all woundedness and offense, whether we offend God, we're rejecting Him. Whether we offend one another, we're rejecting one another. And it's in that rejection that we get this sense of pain and depression. You see, there's this neurotransmitter deregulation that happens where you feel this sense where your, your functioning is not what it should be. Because fear comes over our hearts when we're in a state of depression. We're designed that way. So that when we begin to separate from those we love, and especially in depart from the presence of the Lord, that separation creates that sense of deregulation. And we have the sense of depression. Fear. Anxiety. I used to experience terrible panic attacks. Where the fear of death would come over me my heart would begin to raise. It was very much physiological. But the origin was not in the body. It manifested there. The origin was in the soul. Romans 8.15 says we no longer have the spirit of bondage again to fear. We have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Spirit of bondage, fear. That's written to the church. That's an epistle to the church at Rome. The heathen weren't reading that. So there is a sense of fear and depression that can occur in the church. Do you know that from this feeling, our soul becomes vexed? It's not a term we use these days, is it? But it's clearly a biblical term. Vexed and a spirit of fear envelops our emotions and we withdraw from those that we love the most. We actually erect a wall that's designed to keep others out because it's too painful to get close. That same wall that I put up to keep you out keeps me in. Now I'm in loneliness, misery, and even greater rejection. And the enemy lives behind that wall. And he has more access to massaging my mind than the voices who are trying to draw me out. And when the enemy is massaging my mind behind this wall of rejection that I have erected to keep others out, then the enemy gets, begins to develop a stronghold. That same wall keeps me trapped and paralyzed in fear. My soul then becomes grievous and desires to wash the pain through. We are designed to have the pain against our soul from those who hurt us be washed through. You see, grieving is only in a fallen world. There will be no more tears in heaven. There will be no more tears. But it's a gift. It's not something we ever looked at that way. A gift to grieve, to weep, to sorrow. 
a cry. Yes, in this fallen world, it's a gift. And I believe the enemy has taken this generation and removed any liberty to grieve. Moses said, let my people go. Ravi Zacharias in the last generation said, let my people think. I believe the word of the Lord over his church is, let my people grieve. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Then what happens is, the pain and torment remains trapped deep within me, causing a firestorm of distress, anxiety, and resentments. We're not designed to carry the affliction in a puddle of stagnant bitterness. It is to be washed through. The grief washes it through. So that as we wash through His presence, comes in with the washing through. As we pour out the pain, His healing pours in. So that at this point, my soul can become infected, causing toxicity in my soul and in my relationships. You know what I mean. Toxicity is that sense that wherever I go, the pain in me somehow gets on the others. And they begin to feel it, whether I intend them to or not, but not in a way that brings healing. There's a sense where my soul, when it has this toxicity in it, will attempt to extort pain from someone else. In other words, I like to say that my definition for vengeance is if you don't feel my pain, I'll make you feel my pain. You ever see that? You ever done that? And when that happens, I'm trying to extort out of you to make a replacement in me of what is lost in the violation. You see, that's why it's called debts and debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Even if the violation against me is not the stealing of my money, which is clearly a debt, it's stealing my dignity and my value. When that value and dignity is taken, I've got to get it back. But there's only one way we're to get that back. But haven't we found so many different creative ways to get that back? My life is no longer defined by my destiny, but rather by the vexation in my heart that now infects every part of my life. I said infects. <clears throat> Typhoid Mary was a great cook. She really was. She probably had the gift of hospitality. But she was infected and a carrier of a deadly disease. Therefore, you may enjoy the meal at her home, but it would have been your last. The toxicity means that those that she touches, that everything she touches, she contaminates. That's what happens in the toxic soul. Born again in spirit, regenerated, soul toxic from those areas of affliction that I have not presented before the Lord. Vexation, let me define it for you. It's a mental condition or a mental state. In the secular terms, it's a psychological condition. And you will recall that suki, the Greek word P-S-U-C-H-E, became the root of psychology. Ology being the study of the soul. Well, in effect, when a person is vexed, they're deeply distressed by something that has unsurrendered in them. But the problem is this. The devil, once he sets up a stronghold there, 
He does two things. He binds us in the affliction. And He blinds us to the affliction. 1 John 2, 9-11 says, If a man hates his brother... Let me put me in there. Dominic hates his father, who I did at one time. I would have spun that to say angry, resentful, bitter. I don't hate. I hated him. I believe it's the number one lie in the church. I don't hate that person. Number two lies, I've forgiven that person. Because oftentimes you can't forgive unless it's from the heart. But if Dominic hates his father, he walks in darkness and he stumbles because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Greek is its mind's eye. Can't see once there's hatred in the soul. But I dealt with that when I came to know You, Lord. I can't surrender a sin that I can't see. I can't surrender a sin that I can't see. And the sin was born out of affliction that I could not see, embrace, or own. So this vexation, this mental condition, it's a sense of continued torment. I want you to think about that. Um, There's constant worry and anxiety. That's what vexation is. My soul is sorely vexed. And the Scriptures talks about this. What it does to a person. You might say, is that a punishment of God? It's actually the result of not bringing the Holy Spirit to the place where I'm afflicted. Therefore, any unsurrendered place, even those I cannot see, are going to be places that may cause vexation. So I desperately have to find a way to distract myself from the distress. So I look for a way to anesthetize the pain. Anesthetizing the pain doesn't take it away. I like to ask people the question when they leave the dentist, did you have any pain? And they say, no, I had Novocaine. You know? And I say, well, was there pain there? No, I said I had Novocaine. But what happened when it wore off? Oh, I felt all the trauma, the poking and the scraping and the drilling. And I said, it was there when you sat in the chair. You just didn't feel it. Bitterness is an anesthesia. The root of bitterness that is unseen because it's deeply Uh, embedded within us, whereby the root of bitterness springing up, many be defiled. Just as the trees that we see, we know they have restructure, but you can't see them. But you know the evidence is there by what you see above ground. That which is underneath. And bitterness, because it anesthetizes us to pain, we can't see to give the pain to the great physician. Because He, our Savior, is also our great physician. He's the one who restores our soul. So what we do, rather than seeking Him because we're in these afflictions, have you ever experienced major depressive disorders? Repeated loss of temperament? A lethargy where you lose your sense of energy or focus in whatever drive you're looking for that particular day? How about loss of affect? Affect is feeling. Did you ever, did you ever have someone very close to you? Maybe some of those, your spouse, He or she doesn't react appropriately to certain situations or scenarios. It's almost as if they what's called dead affect. It doesn't mean that they're unable to feel. It means that the feelings have been anesthetized. The emotions have become frozen. All those are indicators of something that has caused an affliction within them. Something that was not their fault. Something that wasn't their sin. So you see, we should have liberty to look for these things. That's what David meant when he said, You, Lord, desire truth in the inward parts. Psalm 51, 6. That thou shalt make me to know wisdom. What's the wisdom you'll know when you're truthful about how you've been hurt? 
You'll see things inside you that were deeply unseen in that blindness that the enemy put there. That veil will be ripped away and you will see those things that created that pain and how out of that pain, you're creating pain for others. Because you see, it will always find its way. Our head has a way of deceiving us and saying, no, I just don't feel it. I'm fine about that. I just don't think about it. That's like telling a man with cancer after he's been diagnosed. Can you imagine if the surgeon came out and said, sir, listen, that cancer is really serious. Just don't think about it. Just go your way. Time heals all wounds. Time heals cleansed wounds. Time does not heal infected wounds. Infection must be cleansed. Then in time, there will be full restoration. Same with our great physician. As we need to seek a physician in this life for afflictions and infections in the body, so it is we need to seek our great physician for afflictions in the soul. Have you ever considered that maybe you're in a controlling mode? or others are controlling you. That need to control, that comes from a spirit of fear. That need to make sure everybody does what I want them to do, or I feel as if they don't care about me. That this idea of control is a sense of me being in control of my life. But Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departs from the Lord. Therefore, I put myself under curse if I control my own life and I control others. I need desperate approval from others. That's the need, again, to pull back the loss and the deprivation of my soul from being rejected, put down, berated, maybe told I wasn't important or I could never do it right. So I desperately need the approval of others. You see, one is fruit. That's the area that I'm stuck in today. The other is root. That's what caused the fruit to grow out from. But the root is so unseen. That's why the board says, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He wants to see, and He wants you to see the root. He long sees the root, and it's the root that creates the fruit. Virtually every one of these disorders, and those not mentioned, are like the toxic fruit on a tree of affliction within my soul. So you see, even though the affliction against me, I was sexually abused when I was six. That's not my sin. But for years, my soul, because God created me that way, had a responding bitterness, hatred, and resentment. But it was deeply locked inside me. And it would spill out when people would trigger me in certain ways, where I felt like my dignity was being taken. And I didn't know when a stimulus this big created a response this big that something in me had become infected. So that even though it was not my fault, of what he did because I did not understand the need to open up that place of affliction to Christ, the great physician, to cleanse me and give me the liberty to grieve. A godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance. This root to fruit. Man looks at the fruit. People come to me for those afflictions I mentioned. Anxiety, panic attacks. But that's not what the real cause is. The root is what's driving that fruit. So I give them a chance to express where they're at in their fruit because it's a problem. It's a very big problem. It's interfering with our lives. But we have to go out, get down underneath and kill that root. 
And only Christ can do that, but we have to give Him the place where the affliction was long embedded. And people find out things they never would have imagined if they give God the search warrant to their heart. As David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know me. Try my thoughts. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. The afflictions are inextricably connected to the stronghold. And it's hidden. It is designed to show us that which we do not see. The affliction of depression of spirit of fear, of the phobias that people experience, are not punishments. It appears that way. We are designed in this fallen world that when we are not trusting God in a certain area to have distress, fear, and affliction, it's designed to drive us back. You understand, I'm sure, that if everything was fine when we were drifting from the presence of the Lord, there's nothing good in us that desires Him. We wouldn't come back. The distress is the evidence that we need our physician to have a place long held from Him. Our churches are afflicted, infected at times, deeply hurting. But it will never be healed as long as the pain concealed. Pain concealed is pain unhealed. If I have an infection on this arm and I go to my family doctor and show him or her this arm and I leave as infected as when I went in because I did not show them, reveal to them where I truly was hurting. Because the devil also would take away our liberty to express the pain and what it did to us. Four things that we do from the pain of the past. We run from it as if time and distance will somehow free us. I agree that the events are in the past, but the impact of those events are inside us. We cover it. Pain concealed is pain unhealed. We deny it. Doesn't bother me. Didn't hurt. I'm now anesthetized. And we medicate it. Now, medication is a good gift coming down from the Father of Lights, but the perfect gift when we're medicating emotion and feeling and soul, the perfect gift is the restoration of the soul that only Christ can do. What is the answer then? If we run from it, if we cover it, if we deny it, and we medicate it, if that's not going to take away the pain, take away the affliction, we turn around and we walk back through it. Remember we talked about embracing the laughter and letting the experience of that laughter? I want you to think about the fact that if you would be willing to do something so radical as to embrace your pain, this is not some masochistic sort of presentation. This is a reality that in the place of identifying closest with Jesus Christ, we identify with His suffering. That's what that meant. That whatever suffering that you've experienced, even as a child, whatever suffering you've experienced in the weeks, or the days, or even the minutes, that if you can make that a sacrifice of recognition and let God give you the liberty to grieve the pain of your past, we pray that God would take away our pain. Do you know how many people came in to me and said, I prayed that God would take away this depression. I've had it for years. Why doesn't He do it? Because it's not the core problem. It's the indicator of a core problem. Depression is not sin. Let's establish that. Depression, depression is the vexation and the feeling of affliction that you have when there's a place deeply unseen 
If he takes away the depression, and that's your prayer, what happens is that you will not see what the origin of the depression is. I had a coach friend who was up fishing in Canada. He was a diabetic. He's to scan his body at the end of each day to be sure that that which he cannot feel is not infecting him to the point where it would get infected and take away his leg or his arms through gangrene. Well, several days went by and he failed to, he failed to observe or look or investigate. And he had looked at a wound that had been there for several days and had become so infected his leg was gangrene. By the time he got to the hospital, his leg had to be amputated. Now, that saved his life. If you would ask him, would you have liked to have felt the pain of your leg when it first got infected? He would have said, yes. I would still have my leg. Pain is a gift in a fallen world. If you ask God, if your leg is infected and you don't have diabetes, God, take away this pain in my leg. He won't do it because that's not good for you. That could cost you your life. He wants to show you the origin. So the prayer is, God, there's a reason I'm afflicted. There's a reason I'm in this major depressive disorder. I don't want to do symptom management. I'll take the pills. It's a good gift. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Doesn't make you or me any less a believer. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. And then, well, I thought it was physiological. I thought it's a bodily function of neurotransmitter deregulation where my neurotransmitters flood. You're right, it is. You can see it in the scans. But those are precursors to the depression, not the true cause. The distress of neurotransmitter deregulation comes from the spirit of fear in the soul. Is there any depression, maybe a generational iniquity that could be there? Do you know children can come into the world because of the distress in the mother that the umbilical cord is not just a nutrient transfer? It's a nerve center transfer. A baby can have depressive symptoms as they come through the womb. This is not an indictment. Don't worry, God is bigger than all of this. This is not, oh no, I've hurt my child. No, please, we're fallen. There's going to be compromise. The important thing is to open our eyes to it. Sorrow and pain is the pathway through the deepest revelations of the heart. It's when you walk through the pain. Not run from it. Walk through the pain and be careful because you might say, but I can't go back to the people that created the pain. Folks, going back to the people that created the pain is not where you find your healing. Going up to the great physician with the pain and the origin of what's in you, that's where the healing is. There are two separate issues. Having to have the person in your presence, having to have that person respond a certain way when they have ravaged your soul, is like me expecting the man who would put a knife in me to be with me at the, in the emergency room for the medical attention. It's two separate issues. I'm already wounded by the knife. His coming back, saying he's sorry, I'm here for you, because I wounded you, is secondary to the fact that I have a responsibility to trust the physician. In this case, the great physician, with the healing. 
there was a father that had two sons. Christian man and woman. And they had ministry to people. They were serving God. Life was good. God took the one son to a disease so rare that you could probably count on one hand the number of people that have gotten it throughout the world. That father and mother struggled for a year and then another year with why God would do that. On an affliction or a, a disease so rare, why their son after they served him? To their horror, the second son also contracted the disease. The father knew what would be that second son's last night on earth because he remembered it vividly when he lost his first son. He said his goodbyes. He held him. He left his bedside, went outside. He looked up into the heavens and he said, you gave one son. You're asking me to give two. God, if this is who you are, you can go to hell. Now, that's hard to even speak that kind of blasphemy. But here's what happened. As he splagged out that pain, the presence of God poured in at a level so profound that he collapsed on the ground and he said, you can have my second son too. He said the love was so amazing, so, so beyond the scope of comprehension. Things too wonderful to behold that he went in expecting to see his son gone. And he was raised up in the bed, perfectly healed. Now lest we think that God honored the blasphemy, no, I don't think so. What God honored was the truth in the inward parts. Where the man's weeping rage came out and the godly sorrow of repentance poured through. Corey Tenboom was faced with one of her captors just two years out of Ravensbrück, the camp that took her sister and the Nazis in the bondage of the Nazis, and you know the story. But I want you to apply it to this now. Where her sister Betsy died there, her parents were murdered by these same wicked people under this regime. And at the end of her testimony in Munich, this church, she told the story of how God had delivered her just minutes before she was to go into the oven. And at the end, a man came up and said, Fraulein, I understand now that you are a believer, that you have been a believer. I'm now a Christian. I wonder if you can forgive me. And he held out his hand. And she looked up and said, God, how could you for the asking? What this man did. He was one of the guards there. Not one of us here would have blamed her for turning around and saying, no, that's a bridge too far. That's way too much to ask. But she said, God, I recognize that my hatred for this man is as wicked as what he has done. If a man hates his brother, he is a murderer, 1 John 3.15. And she said, you're going to have to supply the feeling. And she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. But here's what I never forgot in the testimony. She said, I have never felt God's presence more in that moment than at that time. Even years after, she said, I have never experienced God's presence like that. I really believe, and I can't prove this, but had she walked away, we'd have seen her in heaven. But I don't believe we would have heard her, or about her, met her, or seen all of the writings and the movies 
of ministry. I believe her ministry was confirmed in her place of worst pain. God has a way of doing that. By the way, that couple whose son was restored, they now minister to parents who lose a child to an untimely death. They walked through the pain. I have to close. You know the story of Horatio Spafford? Four daughters. Out of that loss came, it is well, it is well with my soul. He understood soul restoration. Oh, he struggled with affliction long after. Lost his son, then his four daughters. Jesus wept openly at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept openly over Jerusalem because of the rejection. Jesus wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus wept openly at the cross. Why, God, have you forsaken me? If that is what Jesus knew had to be done as the perfect God-man, why is it we struggle without a godly sorrow? If this message has awakened you, that's what the truth does. It awakens. It doesn't change until we embrace it and obey it. This is what I call the want to. If it's awakened you, I trust the Holy Spirit will give you the want to. I don't have the time to go into the how to. One of our staff will be back to give you understanding of how we can take you through it. But I didn't want to make this a commercial. I wanted to make sure you knew that there was an unction in you that we have another place we can go to walk through it. As I close, I want you to consider this. The context of communion with Christ. Think about that. It's not in the context of His transfiguration where the glow of God is on it. It's not in the context of His miracle of the loaves and fishes. When you break this bread, remember when I broke bread and fish. It's in the context, not even of His resurrection. It's in the context of His worst pain. When you break this bread and drink this cup, remember my broken body and my shed blood. And if you get into my pain with me, I will get into your pain with you. Let's pray. Father, I pray the liberty to grieve a godly sorrow that lead it to repentance over this whole congregation. That we not only feel the pain of our own lives and of our own experiences, but we have the intercessory desire to travail and feel the pain for others. I pray that you would give us a spirit of grieving, Lord. A tender spirit of godly sorrow where the heart is made better. I pray now, Lord, that you would invite us and we would courageously come and take that step through to walk through that pain that we have yet to experience, that we have not experienced and see things too wonderful to behold. Those who caused that pain, I'm not responsible for how it was hurt, but it hurt me deeply, Lord, as we hurt you. And I pray that there would be a, a desire to come forth as a confession that I want to walk through my pain. I want to stand and walk through the pain of those I love that are now polarized and separated from me. Lord, meet them here.
This is not a message of man. This is a message from your throne room. In Jesus we pray. Amen. As we close out the service, come forward and give God a chance to heal your pain as you reveal it. Something so precious, so, so different than anything you've ever experienced.